We have two readings this morning. The first comes from... And this is David's response after the, he and the Israelites had given so very generously to the building of the new temple. Um, gold and silver, they gave um, very generously and he had ample there to build the temple. And this is David's response. <clears throat> David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying... Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. And then we turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. And this is going to be Bill's theme for the next little while on the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaching the disciples. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites... For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So far, this. Oh, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to see people gathering together. And uh, we might be a bit smaller in number, but uh, the effect of God's word never changes because it is a powerful word and we are privileged to hear it. Uh, my name is Bill Bosgriff. Um, I haven't met some of you, and uh, I'm a member of this congregation and have been in uh, pastoral ministry for quite a few years, um, but also love to exercise my gifts here. So I thank the uh, leadership team for inviting me to fill in the gap for a few weeks. And uh, when I think about last week um, with the farewell service for Andrew and Sue, it finished with us uh, standing around them in prayer. That was very moving for me. Um, I was also looking for the Lord to give me direction on what to preach here. And I had these ideas in my mind. I shared them with leadership. But when I saw that gathering of prayer, I thought, Lord, thank you. That is a sign that I need to preach on prayer. And then um, we were reminded by John that it was Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday came when God's people were gathering for prayer. So I had two confirmations that uh, just spoke to me saying, this is the way God wants us to go. So we've got ten week, uh, eight weeks that I'm preaching, 
uh, going through the Lord's Prayer uh, bit by bit, meal by meal, uh, so to speak, so that we can dig into God's Word. But let me pray, and then, Mother in Heaven, you are a speaking God. You are not silent. Uh, from when Adam and Eve were created, you walk with them in the garden. You talk with them. And now you are talking to us through your word and by the operation of your Holy Spirit. Through this word, help us to see you better, Lord God, and to see Jesus between us and you. So I pray, Lord, that each one of us will have our hearts warmed with uh, what you are saying to us, how approachable you are and that you want to be approached you want to be prayed to and spoken to and we have the privilege of speaking to the most high god so lord our ears are open in jesus name amen so our text for this morning is just a few little words really and coming out of the prayer that jesus was teaching his disciples our father in heaven. Four words, but the sermon will be a bit more than four words. So, um, in the beginning of looking at the Lord's Prayer, an excellent question to ask is as God's people, who do we pray to? And that's exactly how Jesus starts his prayer. He tells us who we're praying to. It says, our Father in the heavens. So it's a very magnificent statement, in the heavens. And the aim that I hope to achieve for this morning, for myself, but also for you, is this. That we will have our view about talking to God either enriched or even changed from what we thought before to what we see now. So if you have changed from here to there because of listening to God's word, that's exactly what I pray the Holy Spirit does in me and in you. Now, if you look at the Lord's Prayer in the Bible, there are two places where the Lord's Prayer is recorded. And one is in Matthew, the one we're looking at, And the bigger context of this prayer is actually part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is saying, my people, this is how to live God's way. And this prayer is part of living God's way. But Luke, when he records the Lord's Prayer, sets it in the context of John the Baptist was teaching his disciples to pray. And so Jesus' disciples come to him and say, John teaches people to pray. Lord, please teach us to pray. So the request in Luke is, Lord, teach us to pray. And so my question is, are you teachable? Teach you how to pray. And if your answer is yes, I believe he will answer that this morning. But let's ask another question. Why do Christians need to pray? Well... This question has been asked many, many times before. And in church history, there are plenty of documents of the documents that we want to look at this morning, and I'm going to ask you to, to read it responsively with me, comes out of the Heidelberg Catechism. And so uh, I'll ask the question, and then together we will be able to speak the answer. 
So, first of all, why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most of us. And also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking God for them. The second uh, question is, how does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God revealed to us in his word, asking for everything God has commanded us to ask for. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's rest on this unshakable foundation, even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. That is what God promised us in his word. And the last question is, what did God command us to pray for? Everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. So it's a very wonderful and rich document and it's part of what our church calls our um, standards, our confessional standards. And I, I recommend the reading of the Heidelberg Catechism to you. It's not scripture, but it shines a light and explains scripture to us. So that's sort of by way of introduction. But as we think of prayer, God made us and redeemed us to be in relationship with him. Now, I'm saying that because the very beginning of the Bible starts the same way. What do we see in Genesis? We see God made Adam and then he made Eve and then he wanted them to have communion, fellowship, relationship with him. God talked to them. They talked to God. So from the beginning, we see God wants us to be in relationship with him. And prayer is a really important part of that relationship. It gives us an attitude of thanks. It gives us a connection with God. It is a privilege to talk to important people. If you get an invite to talk to the president of the USA, you know, how are you going to feel when you have an audience with the president? Or if our PM says, please come over to my office, I'd love to have a chat with you. They are really interesting experiences. But do you know that we can talk to the most amazing person in the universe, the most important, the most powerful person, and we can do that without an appointment, and he's only a heartbeat away. That's, that's our God. So we can be thankful for such a relationship. And I hope this series on the Lord's Prayer will even deepen our relationship with him. So let's look at our Lord's Prayer very briefly in the Gospels of Matthew and, and Luke. And when we see this prayer, because they're pretty close to each other, we see a structure. So it's, it's interesting that the question is, how should we pray or teach us to pray? It doesn't give us bit-by-bit bit contents, but it gives us a framework on how we can pray. And if you look at this framework, the first thing you'll notice is that we address God, our Father in heaven. 
And then you'll see in the text, as we'll look at in future weeks, there are six petitions. Three of them are talking about our relationship with God. They concern God. And the other three are, if we're going to be in relationship with God, what do we need? So our own concerns and then finishing with a doxology. Now in the Luke context, uh, you see that the Lord's Prayer is given in a setting where Jesus is saying, persist in prayer, trust me in prayer, and show that you're earnest with God. And then it ends with a very interesting verse, verse 11 in Luke 11, I think it is. It ends with praying for the Holy Spirit. So the Lord's Prayer is finishing there in Luke with, you know, have, have these good gifts, but pray for more of the Holy Spirit. A thing that we, I think we, we lack in our prayers. We forget that Jesus asked us to pray for more of the Holy Spirit. Then in Matthew's context, as, as John read, uh, Jim read for us, don't use it to show off. Don't, don't sort of be a statesman and think it's all about me, because prayer is all about God. And then Jesus ends, and I'm going to touch on this in one of the petitions, Jesus ends with forgiveness is essential. If you're going to pray to God, forgiveness is essential. The lack of wanting to forgive someone is actually a blockage to prayer. So if you can't forgive others, Jesus put it this bluntly, if you can't forgive others, you probably haven't experienced God's forgiveness. That is a very strong statement. Unforgiveness is a relationship blocker. We'll see that the first two words we'll look at briefly is our Father. Now, God saves one person at a time. It's one soul added to the kingdom, one by one by one. But as soon as you are added to God's people, have a guess what? You belong to a body. You belong to a family. And so Jesus actually is teaching us here exactly that. He doesn't say, teach us to pray and then say, my Father in heaven. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, our Father in heaven. Remember that when you pray, you are praying as a member of the body of Christ. You are praying as part of a family in that sort of mindset you're also going to be focused on the people that you belong to. And we belong to a much bigger body, the universal church. So don't forget that you are part of that worldwide family of Christ. So you can tell from this little part of the Lord's Prayer that individualistic Christianity is not in Jesus' mind. Individualistic Christianity is not in Jesus' mind. And that has implications for how we pray and what we pray for. The next thing is Jesus says, our Father. Now, I don't know if you stop to think about this, but are you, am I, allowed to call God our Father? Because when I was thinking about this, I thought, the angels in heaven, the ones who are closest to God, don't even address God as our Father. Have you thought about that? The angels do not address God as our Father. So what gives us the right to actually address him 
as our Father. I can understand why Jesus says our Father because he's the Father's Son. But what gives you and me the right to call God our Father? Well, it actually goes to the very heart of the gospel. We don't make God who makes us his children. And we are his children, not by natural birth, of course, but by adoption. And adopted children don't find their parents. But parents go through a very complex process to find and then adopt their children. And so that has a a relevance. God is constantly looking out for children to adopt them into his family as sons and daughters to bring them home. That's the mind of God, to adopt children and bring them into his family. And do you know that the Great Commission is, is, is an outworking of that? God, how will they hear? Unless we tell them, unless we connect with them. So we might be out of the Father's house. You know, people who aren't close to God might be out of the Father's house. But the Bible says that they are never out of the Father's heart. And I think that when we think of some family members who might be straying or wandering, if the Father heart of God says, I'm building my family, I want my children home, then you just keep praying for that. Because the will of the Father is to make his children come home. And Jesus, Jesus pointed the finger at us in a way to say, with the parable of the lost son, we tend to stray. We're a bit like sheep. We'll go off the path. We'll get into trouble. But we see that um, even though in the parable of the lost son, the son was far away, the father is always looking down the road, always seeing if his son is going to come back. And you, know, you might say, but I, I'm, I'm not like the prodigal. But Jesus, in that parable, if you remember it, it wasn't just about the lost son. It was also about the self-righteous son. And you know, he was jealous of what the father was putting on as a party for that son. But Jesus is telling us the lost son and the self-righteous son are actually both lost. And the father's arms welcome them both. So... Isn't that an amazing truth? The Father is is never willing to stop being our Father. It's the wonder of the Father's love. Prepared to lose his one and only Son in order to gain us. And the wonder of the Son's love is that he would go all the way to the cross to fulfill the Father's wishes. So when we think of our Father... And being adopted into his family, God is taking us to himself as first class sons and daughters. Have you ever thought of that? You are a first class son and daughter of the Father. That is amazing. That we are cleansed, that we are forgiven by the blood of Christ. We have a new name. We're Christian. And we have a new home. God's family the universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ, one big family on earth. So addressing God as our Father is a sign of relationship. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, 
And those two words of the Lord's Prayer are an awesome privilege to pray. So let's look at the second half of the text. In addressing God, we might say, okay, kids will ask this, uh, mum and dad, where does God live? Where does God live? And Jesus is talking about our Father in the heavens. Where does he live? In the heavens. Well, well, what does that really mean when Jesus says, in the heavens? Because we've understood that prayer is intimacy with God, being close to him, but doesn't in the heavens feel like a long, long way away? Is he a distant God? No, he's not. So what does in the heavens mean? It doesn't mean that God is far away, that his ears are deaf, that his back is turned. The devil would like us to think that. The devil would like us to think that God is turned away and he's not listening. But that's not what in the heavens means, not at all. In the heavens, and this is what we tried to capture in the theme for the service this morning, in the heavens is a way of saying how grand, how majestic, how powerful, how mighty God is. So he's as close as an adoptive father, but he is at the same time powerful. He powerfully rules from his throne room in heaven. Someone once said, it's better to have our father in heaven than an uncle in the White House. So let's explore what the Bible means by in the heavens. A few texts we're going to look at briefly. Psalm 19 verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So the author is making a statement about the heavens. And he's saying that in the heavens is a God. That reminds me of a song. Our God is an awesome God. Look at Psalm 19 verse 4b where it says, In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. Now I know this is Psalms, I know this is poetry, but I just want you to to put your mind into this. God has pitched the sun. It is a burning star. It is 93 million miles away, 150 million kilometres away. It is a hot star. You know, you can get sunburnt. We also know that it fades our curtains and all that sort of stuff. The sun is hot. Now, imagine God rolling it up and putting it on his back. And he's walking with the sun in his backpack. I mean, that is a picture that we are given here in Psalm 19. God can carry the sun and put it on his back. That is how great he is in the heavens. Isaiah 66 verse 1, the Lord says, Heaven is my throne, or it's my chair, and the earth is my footstool. So the vast heavens, when you go out at night time without any light pollution, and you look into the sky, you are seeing a smidgen of the universe. And here... The text is telling us that the whole universe and planet Earth is like a footstool for his feet. So so the the psalmist is trying, or Isaiah, through God's words, these are God's words, 
trying to describe the greatness of God. Look at 2 Chronicles 2 verses 5 and 6 where Solomon is wanting to build a temple for the Lord. Now at this stage in Solomon's life, he was in tune with God. He was connected to God. He wanted to do things for God. Look at what the text says. The temple, Solomon says, I'm going to build will be great because our God is greater than all other gods. And then he thinks about it. He says, but who is able to actually build a temple for him? Since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. The heavens includes all the stars, all the planets, all the galaxies, all this dark matter that astrophysicists are trying to get their mind around an expanding universe. It, all the heavens cannot even contain God. And the universe is like God's business card and he can put it in his wallet. That's how big and grand our God is. And one more thing to sort of stretch your mind. If you had the ability, one minute, on every planet, every star in the universe, one minute, every star, every planet, one whole lifetime, say 80 years, which is more than 42 million minutes, if you could spend one minute of your 80 years of life, you have only just begun your trip. That is colossal and amazing. And then for God to say, and the, the heavens is my throne. So when Jesus is teaching us to address God as our Father in heaven, it is, it is that he is so great. So we are praying to a God everywhere present, every nook and cranny of the universe God is present. You are praying to a God who is great, who is powerful, who is mighty, who is fully able to hear and to answer every prayer, every sigh, every whisper, every cry, every praise. So you can see that if you look at the Bible and look at the Lord's Prayer, we see that Jesus is actually the connecting link between God and us. He's the link. He's the one. And one of the songs that we sing says it like this. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. That's what Jesus is doing in the throne room of heaven. So not only does Jesus connect us to God, he has also brought heaven to earth. Heaven came down to earth with Jesus. But the thing that we probably don't think enough about is that Jesus has also brought us to heaven with his ascension. We've just done a series on Ephesians. Ephesians 2.6 says, We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. So Jesus brought heaven down and he's brought us up. That is a, a, a picture of the relationship between us and God. How amazing.
And so, as we conclude, I hope that this morning you have begun to get a glimpse of God's glory. Just begun. That even though he lives in unapproachable light, yet through Jesus, our creator God, our redeemer, wants to call us and say, come, call me your father. And our father God is a million times better than the best father or mother you have ever known. And so every time you speak to God, remember who he is and how great he is. And then, has Jesus opened your eyes to see more of God the Father through this prayer? Has he done that for you? Because next time you pray, keep that in mind, that you can pray to God with more confidence in Jesus' name because he's connected us to God the Father. But, but and this is what I, I hope we can get to do, to pray even bigger prayers. Bigger, bigger, bigger prayers, because that's how big God is. So let's join together in praying this prayer that Jesus taught us. We'll use the words uh, that come uh, on screen, because I learned the Lord's Prayer in the old King James way. It's still the one that I have as a dominant memory, but I know that the language is a bit older. So let's pray this prayer, and we'll use this quite a few times in the series. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.